Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. Okay, uh, we just we just sang a song. The rock won't move. Corporately, let me hear that said once again. Ready? The rock won't move. Now, when I make a statement, I want you to corporately say, the rock won't move. You ready? On Wednesday morning after the election, got it? Please understand, America's been in situations before that are troublesome. Those of you who remember the Vietnam War as it unfolded in 68 don't remember a real pleasant time. If I took you back, though none of us remember, Ulysses S. Grant tried to get the South to treat the African American with respect knowing that he had just freed them from slavery. The South's response was to put up Civil War monuments all throughout the South of Andrew Jackson. And various generals and leaders. I don't know if you realize it, But those statues were put up in direct defiance of the American government who tried to bring peace and civility. And the ones that got tore down a couple years ago now were the very ones that were put up in defiance. We've just grown so cultured that we thought that they were there to reflect history. They never were there to reflect history. Let me quickly add... If you ever put a statue of Hirohito anywhere in America, the emperor of Japan who bombed Pearl Harbor, do you think we'd respect it? Why would we respect them then? They did it to defy us. Grover Cleveland came in trying to bring peace. Many of the Christians elected him. Because he just tried to bring peace, salve over the problems. Family America was in the same boat that they are now. Forgive me, but we made it. We made it through 1968 and the ugliness of World War, or excuse me, of the Vietnam War. We made it. Now, we did so by the hand of the one who doesn't move. All right? So forgive me. If we make it through this one. It'll be because the rock don't move. All right? So family, on Wednesday morning, proclaim the rock doesn't move. You are citizens of the United States, but we will be reminded this morning we are citizens of something far, far greater. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Father in heaven, we pray this morning for our nation. Dear God, 
you told us as you unpacked Scripture 2,000 years ago to pray for our government. And at that time, it was Nero. Father, we look at two men who, in fairness, aren't Nero. And so we just ask that your wisdom would reflect itself in the choices that America is exposed to on Tuesday. And then, Father, wherever we fall as a, as a church family, may we remember that the rock doesn't move on Wednesday morning. Father, may we treat one another as citizens of heaven. May we treat the community as representatives, as ambassadors of the citizen of heaven to people who don't know that strength. And Father, may people recognize in us a confidence that doesn't find its strength in the strength of America, but finds its strength in our Savior Jesus Christ that allows us to live with passion, allows us to live with obedience to our government, allows us to appreciate the heritage that America reflects, dear God, but also allows us to have confidence in the tomorrows. We thank you for what you give us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Family, let me tell you a little story. Roy Wittstein, 1986, is searching through a Tupperware bowl in a mineral convention in Tucson. He pulls out a potato-sized rock. Roy is a gem collector. He pulls it out and asks the man owning the Tupperware bowl, how much do you want for this rock? Not very pretty. The guy looks down at it, he says, how about 10 bucks? Each of his sons have given him five, he thought that was a good deal, so he bought it for 10 bucks. Took it home, it turned out to be the largest star sapphire ever found in America. Value at $2 million. Not bad for five bucks for a little kid. Here's the rest of the story. As he held that rock, he got it cleaned, he got it polished, he got it all ready to resell, and the Smithsonian looked at it. And they said, man, that is one ugly rock. Star sapphires are normally vibrant blue, mustard yellow. They're a, they're a beautiful stone to look at. This is a dull gray. They looked down at it and said, this is worth a couple hundred bucks. That happened in 1990 or 1986, it's been going on. He's been fighting for that value ever since. There's a big difference between a couple thousand bucks and two million dollars. But you know something? <laughs> when you live your life trying to find value in something that nobody else finds value in, you're wasting your time, aren't you? You're wasting your time. And you could have had a whole life to live Instead, you spend it on something that's debatable. I want to suggest to you today that where we're at in Hebrews chapter 12, as you turn to it, 
we're looking at eternity just like Roy looked at the sapphire. You see, you are likely to glide right over salvation and allow your eyes to be drawn to something that might have value, but you wonder how long it will have value. Because if it only has value through your life, it's a waste of money, a waste of time, a waste of energy and purpose. What is the unique prize that can never be discounted and can never have a quick turn of profit? I'm going to suggest to you today, as our Bible does, that it's your salvation. And family, this is the culmination of all of Hebrews chapter 12. And I want you to join with it. It's probably one that, in fairness, if this was our devotions at night, we'd quickly gloss over it because we say, oh, I know all of that stuff. And yet, its truth is so deep and is so important and is so vital that my worry as pastor is that too many of us see it, gloss over it, and in glossing over it, we forget the privileged position of being citizens of the eternal kingdom. And all of a sudden, we don't squeeze all of life out of it that life offers. So join with me, if you will, as we read these verses together, 18 through 24. And again, as I'll tell you always, it's there on the screen behind us. I like it in your laps as you interact with Scripture. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, and darkness and gloom, and a tempest, and a sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words may the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gatherings, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So family, I want to bring you first and remind you, if I take you all the way back to verse 1, we just read 18 through 24, remember, it says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so close to us and let us run with endurance the race set before us. We now come here and we see in verses 22 and 24 what we're running to. And it will use the word to and says what you're running to. This is the finish line. And we'll see that in a moment. But this is the culmination 
of, of everything that it's, that's said. And we need to understand it. But I want you to know that I think it's even much more profound than just the capstone of these few verses. I believe that this may be the capstone of the teachings of the entire Bible about salvation. That's why this is so valuable and so important. Now, I want you to understand, I'm hoping that we have taught. I know I sat in a chair and listened to Kevin as recently as this last summer. Genesis begins a story where God created heavens and earth. Revelation ends a story that reminds us that God recreated, God created anew the heavens and earth and brought us new Jerusalem. So we have a, a physical story here. But within the story is the story of salvation. And that story really begins to be unpacked with the first covenant that we see at Mount Sinai. And then, as it continues on, we see the promises, knowing that the first covenant, we can see right from its inception, has some difficulties. And we, we see the promise of a new covenant, and we see the promise of a messianic arrival, and, and we see the, the work of Jesus Christ, His death on the cross, His resurrection. But there's one thing missing. It's saints who come with Him. All right? We, we, we see the leader, we see the, the, the first fruit, but we don't see the, the fruit that comes with Him. Everybody else. Here, you get to see everybody else. What are we running to? We're running to Jesus. So I want you to see here, this is really the, the capstone. So if you will, it puts an end to chapters 12, 1 through 17. This is the end of it. So remember, we were to keep our eyes on Jesus. Then he tells us that God disciplines us. So that as we learned endurance by keeping our eyes on Jesus, we learn endurance from the discipline that the Lord puts on us. It's, it's sometimes not an easy thing as we go through personal tragedy that makes us stand up every day and continue on. Uh, it's difficult for us as we're disciplined. There are a lot of times we want our story to get written a different way. And again, nobody wanted masks January 1st, 2020, did you? The story got written in a different way, and we're asked to live life based on that story. We, we have trial come into our lives that teach us endurance. And that endurance is to allow us to finish the race. Here's the finish of the race. Why you have endurance. Why it's tough. God wants to make certain that His people have the stuff. They don't fall on the, on the race itself, but they wait to cross the finish line. So He tells us, lift up your arms, lift up your knees, keep going. You'll finish the finish line. Look what you're running to. It's the capstone. It's the capstone of Hebrews itself. Family, Jesus Christ, as we started our 
time in the book of Hebrews is my final answer. He's my final answer. Because as the imprint of the Father, we know that Jesus is called in chapter 1, God forever and ever. And yet in chapter 2, He's the Son of Man, crowned with glory and honor. He's my final answer. I don't need to trust in anything else. He's also greater. He's greater than Moses. So as we look in a moment, when we run to heaven, who are we going to see? We're going to see face to face Jesus Christ. Do you realize in the promised land? Where do you find Moses in the promised land? He ain't there. He lost his temper and in sin, God judged him. He couldn't make it to the promised land. But our Savior takes us. He's greater than the high priest. The high priest of high priests was Aaron, the first one. Where do we find Aaron? He didn't make it to the promised land. He died miles short. No matter how good he was, he was judged for sin and found wanting. And he didn't make it to the promised land. But the one who made it to the promised land is Jesus Christ. He's greater. He's greater than the offering of bulls and goats which can never satisfy sin. He's greater because He is the guarantor of the new covenant that you and I fully appreciate. So my final answer is also greater than the greatest human answer unpacked. He's my final answer. He's greater and since He is sufficient to guarantee my salvation and not let it rest on me, He's enough. He's enough. I, there's nothing more I need. So He, and this set of verses, is the capstone. And as we look at the finish of chapter 12 and all of 13, it's almost a prologue. I want to suggest that this could be the finish of the Bible itself. You see, He's the mediator of the new covenant so that those who are called receive a promise of eternal life. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from transgressions committed under the first covenant. So family, He redeems us because we know He died on the cross for our sins. We've accepted His work by grace. We, we've looked down and, and that gracious gift that we trust by faith, the Old Testament saints could look forward to the coming Messiah and they know that God was going to do something. They may not have been fully able to unpack it all, but they trusted in what God was going to do and God redeemed them. And Jesus is the one who ultimately guarantees. And so you, you might look down and say, well, this is some of the most important things that we could look at in all of Scripture. What an incredible privilege. Now, family, one of the reasons that these verses can be glossed over is sometimes we forget some of this background. So if you'll allow me, let me take you on one, one more reminder. You see, sometimes we forget the importance of the first covenant, but no Jew would ever forget the importance 
of the work at Mount Sinai. No, no Jewish individual would. So I want you to remember who the original listeners were. They were Jewish men and women debating about returning to the Old Covenant, to Judaism. They struggled with family rejection. They struggled with personal unbelief. They struggled with cultural tradition. And if you will, that, I think they even struggled with impatience. When, when is this going to turn out positive? When are all the promises going to be given to us? Man, we've been waiting a long time for this. They wanted a better life based on the decisions that they made. Any of you in the same boat? Family, but ultimately, I believe also, they were afraid. They were afraid of the criticism that they were receiving. There was a growing, not only anti-Semitism, but there was a growing anti-Christianity. This is Rome, this is the age of Nero, and this is a growing sense of despair to the Christian community. And they were worried not only of the criticism that they were facing, the rejection that they were facing, but ultimately, around the corner, the potential of martyrdom that they would have faced. It is evident that being godly in a godless society was costly. But being godly in a godless society still is costly. And so family, I believe that many of us sit in this room today and we struggle with the treasure of our salvation. Is it what it's promised to be? Because many of us in this room struggle with family rejection. Many of us struggle with the potential of, family, of financial loss. Many of us struggle with cultural and personal concerns that you are fearful that the cross just isn't worth the struggle. And so, family, I want us today to see the benefit of eyes focused on Christ. Discipline and the value of discipline for us to endure as believers in Jesus Christ. Family, I want you to see that the treasure that we have offered to us is eternal. Anything that may draw your eyes right now will last only to your last breath. We are given eternal, permanent, uh, a, a treasure that is bigger motivation than the fear of man. And family, the only motivation greater than the fear of man is fear in being in the hands of an angry God. So let's look first as we begin to look and unpack this section of Scripture, if you will, first at the terror of Mount Sinai. If you will, in many regards, this is just classic Sunday school 101. This is the basics. Jesus showed Himself, or God showed Himself, at Mount Sinai in Exodus. It is profoundly accurate in terms of a physical presentation of the character of God. 
but is very incomplete. We see God's holiness, His justice, His righteousness. We see His authority, and it's all dramatically unpacked. You have to be holy to interact with a holy God. Romans chapter 7, 7 says it this way, Yet if we had not been for the or if it had not been for the law, I would have not known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. You see, if God's holy, it's important for us to know holiness, isn't it? Let me share with you. Many of you know this about me, but I'm not the greatest lover of rules. I'm not the greatest lover of rules. How about you? You see, when I'm in a car, and five miles ago I saw the speed limit says 65 miles an hour, my little brain asks the question, well, what's the speed limit now? There's not one posted. There must not be a speed limit. And my car and my left or my right foot are more than agreeable with my brain to push that limit and push that boundary. All right? I love seeing some of you shake your heads. You know exactly what I'm saying. But you see, once God comes down and says, you can't do this, if the government comes down and says, miles per hour is what you got to go, you know the standard. Now, if you break it, then... The assumption is, is you better be able, willing to pay. Here's the problem. What happens when you stand before a holy and a perfect God who says that no one comes to the Father unless you're perfect? Now break the rules. Now break the rules. It's one thing to pay a fine. It's one thing to stand before a holy God with absolutely nothing to defend you. You have no recourse but to stand accused and to stand in agreement to whatever the holy judge meets out. You're finished. And so family, as we look, we see the, the, the majesty of God and the holiness of God laid out. And I want you to notice, out of the covenant here, is to not reflect on a story that many of you are familiar with, I want you to see that four issues are stressed. Three of them about God. First, the sheer majesty of God. We see His shattering power, if you will, Exodus 19 sets the stage before he ever says anything of the Ten Commandments. Listen to his arrival on top of Mount Sinai. Verse 18 begins, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. The whole mountain trembled greatly. So picture, if you will, the hottest of the hottest furnaces that you can. And the, the blowing power of the steam and the fire coming up 
from that hottest of hottest of furnaces. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. Imagine, if you will, a low-grade earthquake coming around and shaking all the time. You're going to bed at night and it's shaking. You get up in the morning and it's shaking. You eat every dinner and it's shaking. I want to encourage you, having gone through uh, the quake in, in California, it would shake about every half an hour. It undoes you. Imagine, if you will, it never goes, never dies, never, never ceases. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. The majesty of God. I want you to notice the absolute un unapproachability of God. Family, this never opened a way to meet with God. Anyone who tried to approach God met death even if the accidental animal would travel up, the holiness of God held the presence of God to be sacred. God demonstrated His awesome holiness. No sinner could ever approach God and live. I want you to notice the sheer terror of God. If this isn't bad enough that death is the assumption when you walked on the hill, the terror of God... The overwhelming fear made Israel afraid even to look and listen. Exodus 20.18, after the Ten Commandments are now announced. And by the way, forgive me, but even four or five years ago, it was a surprise to me. I never really put two and two together that God spoke the Ten Commandments. I, I missed it, glossed over it in, in my own devotions. But one night, verse 18 actually impacted me. They trembled and stood far off. The next verse says, Do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Can you imagine a voice so powerful, so awesome, that the outcome is just the worry of death? Lastly, the inability of men to be near God. So Moses could teach, do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, and in order that the fear of Him may remain with you. Now listen, please file this away. That the fear of Him may remain in you so that you may not sin. So family, the logic goes something like this. If you had a proper fear of God, because you physically understood His holiness, His power, and His authority, if you really understood that, then your fear would be so acute that you would not sin. How well did that work? How well did that work? Less than 45 days later? Aaron is carving the golden calf. Alright? So the fear of God, what they physically saw, didn't help. They could not do it. And you, you should get some idea when the Bible speaks that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, just how strong that death is. We can't last even when we see the fearful authority and holiness of Almighty God. 
We can't do it. And so family, that's why this text of, of becomes so important to me. It is here where the challenge of our own walk rests. You see, we often talk about stony and weedy ground believers. You see, remember the stony ground? They don't have soil sufficient for their roots, and when the first challenge comes to their Christian life, they dry up and, and disappear. And Jesus says they were never believers. Weedy ground Christians, they, they seem to stick around longer, but slowly as the world encapsulates it with weeds, they're incapable of maturing and going on, and we don't see the evidence of Christ followers. We see someone who now, after a period of time, disappears under the canopy of the weeds, and there's nothing there. Family, they've made decisions accepting the gift of God based on emotion and not on settled confidence and commitment. And over time, they wander and waver. And here's the sad part. I wish God gave me the privilege. I wish we all had the privilege. But you and I cannot point fingers at people and both put them in heaven or take them out of heaven. We don't have that privilege. We don't know the depth of carnality that keeps a believer a believer, though not walking right, and someone who has now gone so far in their displaced confidence in Christ that they show themselves as weedy ground Christians. We can only challenge each other to make sure that our walk with God is one in which our trust is completely placed in Him. But family, if we don't, please hear me out. The image that we just reported is the only image you eternally will ever see. You will only see a just and holy God whose authority is in wrath against you. That's why this is so important. So as we look at the terror, I also want you to now get to focus on what a believer experiences, the treasure of the New Jerusalem. This is found in verses 22 through 24. We won't read it again. But we are citizens of a new Jerusalem, a figure of the new covenant. And family, I want you to notice what he, what he does here. He does not make this a physical thing. He showed us God at Mount Sinai. How well that worked out. We still walked away. So he gives us all of the eternal truths by faith. We can validate many things about the experience of salvation, but its outcome we take by faith. You see, I can show you with, with pretty strong authority 
that within 24 hours, the believers of Jesus Christ on the third day knew that He rose again, had confidence that He rose again, and changed their lives to live according to that truth. I can, I can show you historically that that was true. But of what they preached of the changed heart and the eternal consequence, <laughs> you're going to have to take by faith. I can show you the prophetic truth that was fulfilled in the life of Christ through the statements of the, of the Old Testament. I can show you that. But I can't show you that Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father, is my mediator, and He waits for my safe arrival. I take that by faith. You see, there's a lot in, in here that ultimately I look down and take by faith. He didn't give me eternal truth and validate it. He asked me to trust it. And this He gives physically. We can go to it. And look how well that turned out. He promises you and I, He says, you're going to cross the finish line, and that finish line is going to be in the New Jerusalem. Coming to Christ is admittance or arrival in heaven. So John could say in the Gospels the words of Jesus, no one comes to the Father but by me. Paul could say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. John could reread or rewrite his own words, not the words of Jesus when he says in his epistle, He who has the Son has life. And Peter could say in his epistle, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So family, Jesus Christ walks out of the ground and four of the earliest witnesses change and wrap their entire confidence of the purpose of life around that simple truth. And so the picture here is one of absolute celebration. You don't cross a finish line to just the quiet thoughts of an empty stadium. You cross the finish line and you have cheer. You cross the finish line to a celebration that is incredible. You cross the finish line and first you see angels by the thousands. It says dressed up to meet you. The idea is here not, not just thousands, but potentially hundreds of thousands as they cheer and they're aware of the work of a saint. You see, those very angels were here at the first covenant. They're now here at the second covenant. And they're aware of your success. We see the body of Christ and they're called the firstborn. The assembly of the firstborn. Let me remind you, if you know Jesus Christ, what do we know Paul calls us? He calls us heirs. Who gets the privilege of the heritage of mom and dad? The firstborn. 
So here we're reminded all of the New Testament saints who are heirs of Jesus Christ or heirs with Jesus Christ and heirs of the Father are now crossing the finish line and those who have crossed ahead of us are waiting as the great cloud of witnesses that we saw. Family, God the judge of all is there with the saints. Isn't it cool? God the judge of Mount Sinai who killed anything that walked on His mountain is now in the stadium box cheering us on as we arrive in His presence. Family, the judge of all says the spirits of righteous men made perfect. These are the Old Testament saints who had cowered in fear when they saw the God of Mount Sinai, but they trusted in the work of God to become finished. And they ultimately stand knowing that Jesus Christ finished in it all. And we end up seeing Christ, the mediator, who made peace for us with God. The mediator between God and man. So family, ultimately, our author is saying that all of this is ours in Christ Jesus. All of our blessings are eternal. No persecuting neighbor could ever rob these believers who heard this message of such rich assurance, no matter what. Their names were enrolled in heaven. They are citizens of the eternal kingdom. And family, in the very capstone of it all, you are reminded today that the same decision to follow Christ that you made has the same eternal consequence that the author here is reminding to these quaking, uncertain Jewish men and women. And he's here to give us strength and remind us what a privilege it is to be in the hands of the Savior and the Mediator, Jesus Christ our Lord. And let me encourage you today, are you in the hands of Jesus Christ? And there's no other time to, to encourage an evaluation of what you consider important than right now. You see, there are so many things that can blind us, turn us away, make it unimportant. Family, are you more afraid of what's going to happen on Tuesday than you are what might happen when you face eternity? If so, you need to deal with something. Do you care more about the, the finances of the rest of your life than, than you do of what's going to happen in the eternities once you've closed your eyes and money's no longer important? When we make a covenant, a promise that we choose to follow the salvation that we've been offered in Jesus Christ, and we consider it lightly, we minimize, we marginalize its importance. My question to you is, how 
horrific will it be to stand before the God who presented himself on Mount Sinai and we have not considered the importance of our salvation as value. Father in heaven, please, I pray, allow the work of the cross to be our complete satisfaction in life. Father, may we reorganize the value that we have, the things that we consider precious. Dear God, may they be only tools that you've given us to bring you honor and glory. Father, the stuff that may draw our eyes, the the things that may give us fear, may we see them, dear God, as things that you've brought into our lives, disciplines that may allow us to endure with a better confidence. Dear God, an endurance that lasts till we cross the finish line. Father, you've given us so much. May we not see them as significant to dull our lies from what's important. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.